This is the ICO Alert Podcast, Episode 7. I'm your host, Robert Finch, founder of ICO Alert. ICO Alert is the trusted source for analysis of ICOs, otherwise known as initial coin offerings. We maintain a comprehensive list of ICOs on our website at icoalert.com. If you're new to the ICO space or even the blockchain space, don't worry, we've got you covered. Head to start.icoalert.com, where we have helpful introductions to this exciting new world, introductions about ICOs, and introductions about the blockchain space in general. That's start, S-T-A-R-T, dot icoalert.com. My guests today are Will Warren and Amir Bandiali, the co-founders of ZeroX. During the podcast, we'll talk about the ZeroX protocol, solving liquidity issues on decentralized exchanges, their long list of partnerships, and more. Without further ado, let's get to it. Will and Amir, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks, Robert. Yeah, thanks for having us, Rob. Yeah, it's great to have you. So I think there are a lot of people that know about ZeroX. You were one of our most requested guests to be on the podcast, so it's very exciting to have you. Uh, but beyond that, I think there are probably a significant amount of people listening that have never heard of ZeroX before. So if you could kind of give a, an overview of what the platform is and what you're trying to accomplish, that would be great. Sure. Uh, yeah, so ZeroX is a protocol for decentralized exchange on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, we envision in the future uh, that more and more assets will be tokenized. Uh, so currently, there are probably 20 to 30 liquid ERC-20 tokens on Ethereum. Um, and by 2020, I think there will be thousands of uh, different tokens on Ethereum. Um, and this will range from traditional financial assets like fiat, stocks, bonds, uh, to obviously protocol tokens, uh, rare digital goods like video game items. Um, and in order for these tokens to actually be useful, uh, you really need a seamless way to be able to exchange the tokens. Um, you know, currently a lot of uh, dApps on Ethereum require one token to function. Uh, down the line, more and more complicated apps could require 10 tokens to function, and users need to be able to, to acquire these tokens in order to, to use applications. Um, so ZeroX uh, is a protocol uh, that essentially allows anyone to set up their own exchange um, and uh, share, uh, and you would create a shared liquidity pool by aggregating all of these uh, orders from these different exchanges. Um, so we're hoping this will lead to a lot more liquid markets of ERC20 tokens. Very cool. So you guys are essentially making a platform that anybody, so when you say anybody can go on and make their own decentralized exchange, does that mean that somebody with no programming knowledge could do it? Or are there still sort of a list of technical requirements that they would have to meet? Uh, early on, it'll require a little bit of programming knowledge, but uh, we aim to build the tools to make it as easy as possible to do so. Okay, very cool. And going back to what you said about all these different types of assets, you mentioned you, you believe in the future that things like securities and, and stocks and, and all these different uh, sort of representations of value will be tokenized and, and on a blockchain. Can you uh, talk a little bit more about how you see that transition happening? Because right now, obviously, stocks are you know just traded in the stock market. There's no tokenized version of it. When I sell my car to somebody, I don't have a tokenized version of my car lease. But I think that's sort of a concept that a lot of people in the crypto space have 
uh, envisioned as well. So if you could talk about how you sort of see that transition happening, that'd be great. And Amir, I would love to get you to jump in on that as well. Yeah, sure. Um, so, well, I, I think a couple things need to happen. Um, the, the regulatory side of things need to be figured out, uh, especially for things like securities on the blockchain. Um, I think the the blockchain needs to be able to scale to handle all of these uh, all these different assets. Um, and and I think over time it'll uh, it'll sort of just naturally happen. Um, and in, initially, it's going to be probably. Uh, a little bit more centralized where like a centralized body could issue their fiat token uh, like like a bank for example but uh, there are a lot of really smart people working on uh, different ways to decentralize this process more um, and yeah I think I think uh, there are just a lot of really smart people working on these problems and together over time I think we'll just get there That's yeah. awesome. so adding to that I think so there, there will be many different types of, of tokenized assets like fiat, uh, commodities, derivatives, stocks, et cetera. So, but you, so you asked about like why would people want tokenized stocks sort of? Is that kind of? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think there's actually a really strong argument why people would want tokenized stocks. And, and I, the reason is because Right now, if you are somewhere not in the U.S., if you're abroad in Asia or if you're you know, in Europe, it's really hard for you to invest in U.S. companies, uh, publicly traded companies like Google and Apple. Um, and so there's like this enormous demographic of people across the world that just don't have access to these investments. Uh, which makes no sense at all. Like these are international companies. They operate all over the world. They sell their products all over the world. But you have to be a U.S. citizen in order to, uh, you know, support support the company or you know, be a stakeholder in the company. So I think it's it's like almost unavoidable that you'll start to see people moving these securities, these publicly traded stocks onto a blockchain that's global and, and completely open because there's going to be strong demand for it. People will find a way to, to allocate their money more efficiently if, if, if the tools are there. Yeah, that's a great answer. And of course, you know, people who are familiar with crypto exchanges now, it, it's much different from the stock market because rather than following a schedule, you know, a nine to five schedule and it's closed on holidays and weekends and things like that, all these crypto exchanges are open 24 seven. So do you think that when this sort of transition with securities and stocks and other uh, forms of value come to the blockchain, do you think that the markets will then be 24 seven, just like crypto markets today? I wouldn't be surprised. I, I mean, <laughs> It seems kind of odd that the traditional markets aren't twenty don't operate twenty four seven. I guess the so I mean I guess a good example would be forex markets. That forex markets are always open uh, seven days a week, twenty four hours a day, and that's because they're they're global, they're international, and so are so are blockchains. Blockchains don't really follow a concept of like nine to five work hours. Yeah, that's yeah, I, I agree. I think they'll they'll definitely be open twenty four hours, and and I think also a benefit of tokenizing these assets is you enable them to be used in uh, other decentralized applications 
Um, and if you want those applications to be running 24-7, then, then yeah, these tokens need to be tradable 24-7 as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's also interesting, I mean, do you think, like right now, if, if a stock on like that, that's on the, the stock market in the U.S. drops 50% in a day, generally there's the government or some other regulatory body in the U.S. will freeze that stock to kind of prevent like a, a doomsday scenario from happening. Do you think that those freezes will also kind of be bypassed by the tokenized nature of those securities and those stocks? Well, so I guess it, that really depends. So it, if an exchange is using 0x protocol, uh, the, the person, essentially, we call them relayers. So that we use the term relayer instead of exchange because, uh, you know, an exchange sort of implies they've built their own proprietary infrastructure uh, and, and they kind of own that whole closed system. Whereas with 0x protocol, it's a standard protocol. All the infrastructure is public and openly accessible. Uh, so all you're really doing if you're operating a decentralized exchange on 0x is you're essentially just like relaying these cryptographically signed data packets. Uh, but getting back to the point, uh, if you're a relayer, you will have sort of control over how you decide to operate your exchange. Uh, so if, you know, you decide to, uh, you know, temporarily halt markets uh, because there's a crash, like you could do that. But I, I, if I had to guess, uh, I would think that, you know, relayers are probably going to let the markets do what they want to do. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, that's it, very. No, go ahead. Uh, sorry. Yeah, it, it would. I think it would be. It'd be tough to halt your exchange if, if you're a relayer, for example, because other relayers might continue to operate, and you know the markets could could be crashing on a different exchange, basically, and and then they're losing out on those fees. So interesting. So let's talk about those relayers uh, a little more in depth. Um, what specifically is it that they're doing? You mentioned, you know, they're taking cryptographically signed packets and, and sort of transferring or relaying them, hence the name. Um, but could you talk a little bit more about that role and what it entails? Yeah, so there, uh, kind of as I mentioned before, like with a, a centralized exchange that people might be used to using today, like Poloniex or GDAX, uh, Bitfinex, whatever, each one of these exchanges has kind of built from the ground up their own infrastructure. So they have like, they probably have like a very sophisticated, highly scalable backend that allows for tons of, you know, connections and tons of transactions per second. And they kind of own that entire system and it's closed off. No one can kind of see how it works. There's trust involved. Um, but with, Zero X, you know, the back end is the blockchain. And specifically, it's a system of smart contracts on the blockchain that are open source uh, and that are completely publicly accessible. So anyone in the world can decide to hook into the Zero X smart contracts and start uh, essentially, you know, uh, executing trades, collecting transaction fees. Uh, and it's sort of up to each individual relayer how they want to, you know, which markets they want to focus on, if they want to specialize in a certain industry or sector, uh, what they want the user experience to look and feel like. Um, so, uh, yeah, relayers are essentially, they, they, uh, they're just entities that are usually, they're for-profit entities that 
are hooking into the block, the Ethereum blockchain. They're aggregating these cryptographically signed messages that are zero X orders. Um, and they're sort of uh, organizing them and displaying them in the form of an order book. And another important part about relayers is they don't hold customer funds whatsoever. Uh, all the trading happens directly from a, a user's regular Ethereum address. Um, so this really lowers the barrier to entry for setting up a relayer versus a centralized exchange. Uh, you know, it should be easier uh, regulation-wise. Uh, I'm sure it's very costly to, to set up all the banking relationships necessary to uh, hold customer funds as well. So by really lowering the barrier to entry to be an exchange, uh, we we hope to increase liquidity and lower fees overall. Right. So actually, it's, uh, I think this is something that is important to mention because I think we kind of take it for granted uh, at this point, but like maybe people that are kind of newer to cryptocurrency aren't as familiar with like some of the downsides to centralized exchanges. Uh, so like in uh, with centralized exchanges, you have to deposit your cryptocurrency into the exchange, into the possession or the custody of the exchange. And they have complete control over the funds. And in like the brief history that cryptocurrency exchanges have existed, there have been like numerous examples of exchanges either getting hacked or shut down by governments or uh, like even the, you know, the exchange staff running away with customer funds. Yeah. Uh, many, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars at, at you know, at this point have, have been taken from customers. Uh, so, you know, that's a big problem. Uh, it's, it's extremely expensive to, uh, you know, build all the security systems and ensure that customer funds are safe. With Xerox, you don't have to worry about that at all. It's a uh, customers, uh, people that are you know essentially trading, uh, placing orders, and executing trades. They never have to deposit their ERC twenty tokens into the possession of someone else. They are retained in their own personal wallet. They have complete control over their private key, uh, and. Uh, relayers never have access to any traders funds uh, at all which awesome. is yeah yeah that's great insight and one of the things that I think people might also be a little bit confused about is how how is it possible to keep the money in their funds and not not actually have the exchange have it but still be able to place an order or uh, sort of interact with the exchange like is are they depositing their funds into a smart contract with which they still technically own or how does that process work no, so uh, actually, so this is interesting. So the ERC20 token has sort of, it, it has the functions that you might expect a normal sort of like a, an asset to have. And that's uh, the, the standard token that's built on top of Ethereum, ERC20, just to, to clarify. Right. So every digital asset on the Ethereum blockchain, uh, essentially, you know, if you want it to be able to easily interact with other smart contracts or decentralized applications, you really want to follow a standard interface. You, you want all of these tokens to look and behave the same way. Um, so the, the standard that the community has sort of uh, agreed upon using is the ERC-20 token standard. And the ERC-20 token, it's essentially a smart contract. It has a 
it, it stores user balances and it has a, a few different functions. And so the first function, which is probably the most obvious one, is transfer. So if you have a balance of a token and you want to send them to someone, you can essentially call this transfer function. Uh, and you will, you, know, you will transfer your tokens. Uh, but what is sort of less commonly known is that the ERC-20 uh, token has some more functions that allow these tokens to be you sort of to interact with dApps much more easily. And so these functions are the approve and transfer from functions. So uh, essentially what you can do is you can provide a smart contract that you, you know, assuming you can look at its code, you know exactly what this smart contract is capable of doing. You can provide a smart contract with access to a specific amount of your tokens. And then that smart contract can pull those tokens in and do things with them. Uh, so it's smart contracts, uh, or ERC-20 tokens, you can both push those tokens through transfer or other smart contracts can pull those tokens using transfer from and approve. Wow, that's awesome. And what, what prevents like uh, one of these decentralized exchanges or these platforms built on top of 0x, what prevents them from pulling more uh, than they're authorized? Like, is that an explicit authorization that the user has to set? Like, oh, that you're only allowed to pull this many tokens versus like their entire balance? Uh, so you essentially would provide an allowance to the 0x smart contracts only. Um, and, and you're comfortable doing that because the code is all on the blockchain. It's open source. You could, you know, verify it's not going to steal any of your funds. Um, and then when someone fills an order using the 0x smart contracts, it'll automatically uh, swap the tokens from from both accounts. Wow, that's very cool. And what happens, like, just as a, an edge case, what happens if, let's say, I place an order on 0x and then later I transfer those tokens out to, like, another address or something? Um, I, I assume the transaction just fails when it tries to execute? Right. So it's part of the relayer's job to watch the blockchain and watch the, the pending transaction pool for changes to make sure that uh, the traders have sufficient funds. Right. So that's the... So that's like a, a, a question that we receive really frequently. Uh, so what happens if you create an order uh, and then essentially, well, if you don't have the funds available to fulfill that order in the first place, or if you do, but then you move the funds out from under that order after it's already been broadcasted. And uh, the, the short answer is that since the blockchain contains all you know, every single thing on the blockchain is public and you can easily kind of look at what's going on on the blockchain. Uh, essentially, you just you just check. So if you're a relayer hosting an order book, uh, if someone wants to place an order on your order book, you, you have to go through a series of verification steps. You want to make sure that the order will actually be able to be filled. Uh, and if it can't, then you simply reject it. Uh, and if you accept an order onto your order book, and then someone moves the funds out from under an order, well, you just watch the blockchain. And if you see that someone's uh, making a change to their balances or allowances in a way that will invalidate an order, well, then you just remove that order from your order book. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. And to, to sort of pivot a little bit um, and talk about, you know, you had mentioned there are all these exchanges in the past, like Mt. Gox and others that have uh, either gone insolvent or run away with user funds. And it's it's been... 
uh, sort of a plague of the uh, crypto community for a while. Fortunately, at least in the recent months, or I guess even recent year, um, we have not had an exchange go under or, or do that anymore. So I think that sort of perception of exchanges is starting to fade in a lot of ways, which is, is definitely dangerous because those risks are still out there when you have a centralized entity controlling your funds. Um, so it's interesting because you guys aren't the only ones thinking about this and, and thinking about solving that issue with centralized exchanges. You know, we've seen other exchanges launch that are totally decentralized. We have Ether Delta, uh, to name a couple that have just been funded recently through ICO. There was OpenANX and NVO. Um, and what's interesting about them, Ether Delta in particular, is that they're they're continually plagued with low volume and essentially because of that they're plagued with a liquidity drought meaning there aren't enough people placing buy orders and as a result there are not enough people placing sell orders and really the platform never gets used so how how will Xerox be different because right now it's so easy to hop onto a centralized exchange there's tons of volume i know that i'm able to sell something without a ton of slippage without my price changing um, how is Xerox going to solve that liquidity problem that current decentralized exchanges are facing yeah uh so I, so I, I, I think there's a few different things that will sort of uh, allow exchanges to create liquid markets using 0x compared to, say, like an Ether Delta or a Maker Market. Uh, and that is that since 0x is essentially just laying out this public infrastructure that anyone can plug into it's massively lowering the barrier to entry for new people to come and create their own decentralized exchanges. And so what this means is that once 0x is live and some of the developer tools that we're working on are out there in the world, that there is very rapidly going to be a, a release. So there, there's going to be better and better exchanges popping up very frequently. So exchanges that offer a very clean user experience which i think is completely lacking i don't i don't know of a single decentralized exchange today that that you know provides the level of user experience or user trust is like a coinbase or a Poloniex gdax whatever right um, and and also since we're going to be creating all these developer tools that make it very easy to sort of create a functional relayer uh, it, I think it won't be that hard to uh, essentially pull liquidity from even centralized exchanges by uh, uh, taking you know, sort of taking like market prices from centralized exchanges and mirroring them on a decentralized exchange. Oh, okay, interesting. So is that something you think like like is your vision of the future of exchange and decentralized exchange in particular is is your vision like all of these centralized exchanges actually opening up their platform to be decentralized or do you think that it'll just be the job of somebody else to kind of take some of that liquidity on these centralized exchanges and move it to the decentralized exchanges probably the latter i would say um and and i also wanted to add uh so so there are already a lot of different decentralized exchanges out there you mentioned ether delta there's uh, Oasis Dex, um, you know, IDEX, NVO, like you mentioned. Um, but the issue is, uh, I, I think overall the, the demand for, for decentralized exchange currently, um, or it's, it's kind of a smaller pool than, than the centralized exchanges, I guess. Um, and then each of these different decentralized exchanges, they have, uh, you know, different, different learning curves, different levels of efficiency, different, uh, uh, different security uh, 
and some some of them are on chain, some are off chain. It's really hard to trade across the exchanges essentially. Um, so I think each of these exchanges is sort of actually fracturing the overall liquidity pool for decentralized exchange. And by having everyone use the same protocol, the, the same shared settlement layer, it makes it extremely easy for traders to trade across these exchanges and arbitrage. Um, so I think that will lead to uh, a massive increase in liquidity. So are you saying that there's a shared liquidity pool with 0x? Because it seems like if, if more and more decentralized exchanges are popping up on top of 0x, you would have kind of a similar issue where then it's only exacerbating the liquidity problem, or are they all able to pull from the same like 0x liquidity pool? Well, I think it's likely that relayers will actually uh, they'll, they'll essentially uh, show orders from other relayers also, just, just so they have greater overall liquidity on on their exchange and more people come to their exchange and see their orders. So if you were to aggregate the orders of all the different relayers, then you would essentially have a global liquidity pool. Okay, so that's not something that's like built into the network, it's just something that uh, relayers will, will have to implement essentially? Uh, yeah, to start out with. Okay. But it should be, since, uh, since every relayer is speaking the same language, like every single order, it doesn't matter which relayer the order exists on, every single order follows the exact same uh, sort of format, message format. So it, it's actually incredibly easy for a relayer to take an order from basically anywhere and uh, treat it the same way they treat their own orders. And so like another thing that's really interesting about this is that since every relayer is speaking the same language and they're all plugged into the same settlement layer, it makes it extremely easy to arbitrage across different relayers, uh, which produce in arbitrage produces more liquidity for everyone. It's, it's definitely a, arbitrage is a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, Right. So uh, what you can do is you can take an order uh, on sort of like on either side of the market uh, from one relayer and the other side of the market from a different relayer. And you can sort of take both of these orders and you can batch fill both of them in a single atomic transaction without exposing yourself to any sort of uh, risk of one of the orders going through and the other not. Wow. So. So what this what this it kind of creates like these network effects where if there's one relayer with some liquidity and there's another relayer with a little more liquidity they can kind of piggyback off each other and create greater liquidity for both of them. So you're not necessarily like it's not necessarily a bad thing if there's a relayer that's competing with you it could actually produce more liquidity for everyone. Yeah, that's interesting. And it's kind of this whole like chicken and the egg problem with the centralized exchanges where nobody wants to use it until there's liquidity and there's volume, but uh, nobody is using it because there isn't liquidity and volume. So it's like this chicken and egg, you need the volume to get more more volume, uh, but you can't get the volume without volume. Um, to, if that's not super confusing. Um, <laughs> but it, it, I think you guys have a, a pretty neat solution to that, which would be the ability to just to, to allow relayers to pull liquidity from centralized exchanges, that I think that would probably solve that problem. And 
um, really bring a lot of people over there because I, I think one of the benefits of centralized exchanges that we haven't talked about is just them being, uh, like you mentioned, a little bit super user friendly. You know, they people don't have to to set up their own address that they control, which it, for some people is actually a good thing. I personally would would never do that. Um, just seeing Mt. Gox happen and the whole collapse there and everything was was terrible. Um, but I think it, they do offer certain benefits like that. Um, it, it's interesting. I mean, do you think that somebody will be able to make a decentralized exchange on top of 0x that's just as user-friendly or maybe even more user-friendly than, than something like Coinbase, where it's just an app where you um, can very easily buy and sell certain digital currencies? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So I, it really comes down to once you have all of this this sort of infrastructure laid out, uh, for settling settling trades and uh, sec- you know I- ensuring that user funds are secured and everything's fully decentralized, uh, it really it really comes down to providing a good user experience uh, and providing liquidity uh, like liquid or deep order books, uh, and and that's kind of what is going to allow a relayer to differentiate themselves as well as like competitive transaction fees. Uh, so if, I mean, if it, if the barrier to entry for being a relayer is relatively low, um, and there's many different relayers popping up, really the only way that they can stand out is by providing an awesome user experience and really competitive transaction fees. Uh, and so, I mean, so we're already talking with a couple projects that are building relayers and they're in, they're in stealth mode. But what we can say about them is that they're definitely they're they're promising teams that know what they're doing, and we're kind of expecting to see these relayers pop, you know, kind of come out with with decentralized exchanges that look and feel way better than anything out there today. Okay, very cool. That's exciting, and. You know, going back to like the ERC twenty token standard, which you know zero X itself has a token, um, which which I'm not sure a lot of people know about. Obviously, you're running an ICO to raise funds uh, to build out more of this platform, and as I understand it, a significant amount of the platform is already built, which is a welcome change from a lot of current ICOs that launch without a product. Um, but why does the zero X protocol need its own token? Sort of, what function does that token have within the system? Yeah, so it's actually super important. Uh, so, uh, smart contracts are immutable. So once you deploy a smart contract to the blockchain, it's business logic is fixed forever, uh, unless like the entire Ethereum blockchain hard forks to change the smart contracts logic or something like that. Uh, so if you want to be able to have every exchange, all of these relayers essentially plugging into this same sort of shared settlement layer uh, and we want it to kind of serve as like an open technical standard that everyone uses and it kind of creates these network effects around liquidity because everyone's speaking the same language and plugged into the same settlement layer well that's only really something that can be sustained if the protocol uh, and the business logic of the protocol encoded within the smart contracts can be future-proof. So it needs to be able to be upgraded over time. Uh, And the reason why is because if you cannot upgrade the business logic, if it's sort of you deploy it and it's sort of the same thing forever into eternity, well, 
you know, pretty soon uh, these relayers are going to say, well, I want this feature or that feature. And soon, you know, one or two of them are going to start forking, you know, basically taking the open source code, forking it and adding a new feature. Uh, each one's going to kind of have their own needs and they'll all kind of create their own sort of clones of the protocol, but each with different feature sets. And what will happen is that this open standard and this sort of all of the network effects that are gained by having everyone plugged into the same protocol and using the same message format, all of that will just kind of dissipate. And we'll kind of end up right back where we are today, where there's just a bunch of different decentralized exchanges with custom smart contracts that can't like that aren't interoperable with each other. Uh, none of them are really that liquid. Uh, and it's not really a good situation to be in. Oh, okay. So, like, yeah, so uh, right. So essentially, uh, the token is used as a, a governance mechanism that allows us to upgrade the protocol over time. Uh, and this is done by essentially uh, our, the zero X system of smart contracts is modular. Um, the business logic that you know might need to be upgraded uh, is sort of separated from other parts of the system and the stakeholders that own ZRX tokens are able to essentially swap out that uh, existing business logic with a uh, upgraded and improved version of the business logic if everyone sort of agrees upon, not everyone, I mean, there, there's got to be like a really good governance system in place, but uh, if, if a sufficient uh, amount of the community agrees upon adopting a new version of the protocol. Okay. The, and what are you using for that, that governance system? I know you mentioned like a good governance model. Or I noticed also that Aragon is one of your uh, partners with ZeroX. Are you using Aragon to do the governance portion? Uh, potentially. So when we, when we first launch the protocol, uh, it's going to use uh, a time-locked multi-sig for, uh, for the governance. So uh, it'll, yeah, essentially... The upgrades will will still be sort of centralized um, in in the hands of us until we find a, a good governance model. Uh, it's an area we're going to need to put a lot of research into. We could potentially use something uh, like Aragon, um, but yeah, funds will be completely safe in the meantime um, because of the time lock on the multi sig. Okay. Yeah, I think. I, I think we would like to use Aragon. It really just comes down to like how flexible. Uh, so they, they want to kind of allow you to customize and create your own decentralized organization to fit whatever needs you need. Um, and it really comes down to if the Aragon DAO can be created to create the incentives that, that we need needed to have. Okay. Essentially. Yeah, we had uh, Jorge and Luis on, on the podcast, the two co-founders of Aragon recently, and we had an interesting conversation. Uh, I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen to it, but essentially we were talking about you know, what you, a, a term that you brought up, which was being future-proof. Um, and one of the things we discussed was with Ethereum's current scalability issues with these ICOs you know, flooding the network and, and a couple other uh, issues that the platform is facing. Um, we were talking about whether or not they would migrate to another platform or even potentially become platform agnostic in the future. And they had kind of expressed that, you know, Aragon will live on whether or not Ethereum does. And I know that you guys from the outset are only, uh, this is really a protocol for ERC-20 or Ethereum-based tokens. Um, do you all see 
like this governance model being used to upgrade the protocol to, to also accept tokens from other platforms. Because right now we're seeing like there are all these new platforms popping up, whether it's Stratus or Lisk or uh, more obscure obscure uh, platforms like Rise and other things like that, that all are going to sort of be able to have their own tokens built on top of it. I mean, do you guys, is that something that's possible for the community to, to kind of decide, hey, we're going to upgrade this to accept all these other tokens, even though they don't fit that ERC-20 standard? Well, so I, I think this, this kind of uh, goes back to the idea of different blockchains that use the Ethereum virtual machine, the EVM. And, you know, so the Ethereum blockchain was the first blockchain to uh, use the EVM. But since it came out, there's been uh, a variety of forks that, you know, use different interesting consensus mechanisms, but the same exact EVM. And, you know, it any blockchain that uses the EVM can and probably will support ERC-20 tokens. And they are also capable of supporting any sort of uh, protocol, like non-native protocol or like smart contract system that exists strictly in the EVM, uh, like Aragon and ZeroX and Augur. All of these, all of these are just smart contracts. and. Um, they, you know, these smart contracts can easily be ported to any EVM, uh, and it really, you know, the primary differentiator uh, between different blockchains with an EVM would just be sort of the consensus mechanism. Uh, that being said, our, you know, our primary focus is the Ethereum blockchain, the the canonical Ethereum blockchain, and this is because that's where you know all of the tokens are on the. Ethereum blockchain, uh, all of the ERC-20 tokens. And, it, you know, it really just wouldn't make any sense for us to, you know, spend time and effort porting, you know, the protocol for trading Ethereum tokens to an EVM blockchain that doesn't have any tokens. Uh, so, right, you know, for now, our, our attention is, is solidly focused on the Ethereum blockchain. Um, you know, it... It's very possible that other EVM blockchains in the future will, you know, fork 0x or, you know, it's possible that we'll find a way of allowing for some sort of chain interoperability. Uh, but I think that's something that, you know, we're, it's not really our primary focus at the, at the moment. Okay. Right. That's interesting because I would tend to agree with you. I mean, right now, obviously, all of the tokens or at least the, the greater majority of tokens are on Ethereum, but there are a lot of projects that are, are almost at the stage where now they can accept tokens and will be running ICOs on top of the platform. Lisk is one of those that is supposed to have an SDK out in the next couple of months, and then we'll begin launching ICOs and tokenized projects on top of it. And I don't believe Lisk is EVM based. So uh, do you think that's a, a big portion of the market that you're potentially missing out on? Or is that something that you would just kind of reassess in the future when that happens? Well, we're definitely specializing uh, in that we want, you know, we're, uh, 0x is a protocol. It's, it's as unopinionated as we can make it. Uh, but as it stands, you know, uh, it's designed to allow exchange of ERC-20 token to ERC-20 token. And, uh, you know, all of the ERC-20 tokens of, of major interest to us are on the uh, Ethereum blockchain. There are uh, a lot of other really compelling projects out there that are working on sort of cross-chain exchange and, uh, you know, 
relaying different tokens across different chains. You know, for example, like Polkadot, Cosmos, uh, and there's I, there's quite a few others actually as well. They're smaller projects, and uh, you know, I, we're kind of trying to focus in on uh, ERC twenty token exchange and allowing smart contracts to programmatically execute trades. Uh, and we're kind of leaving those other hard problems to other smart groups of people. Yeah, and also it, it should be pretty easy to, uh, yeah, essentially pour over zero x to any blockchain that supports smart contracts. Um, you know, might, might require some tweaks depending on you know if they use a EVM or not. Uh, but yeah, I, th I think it's it's totally doable. Uh, which is slightly different than than actual cross blockchain interoperability. Okay, very cool. And one thing, uh, I, th I think that's a good answer. Um, it'll be interesting, certainly, to see how the the whole ecosystem unfolds as like more and more platforms come out. Um, but it seems like you guys have uh, a pretty clear roadmap of of where you're headed. Um, but one thing I want to talk about about the relayers before we move on and, and talk more about your partners like Aragon and some of the governance model as well. Um, do you think you know in terms of legal implications, there are a lot of at least particularly in the U.S., there are a lot of laws surrounding things like money transfer services, and that covers things like Bitcoin ATMs and uh, exchanges and, and all sorts of things like that, where if you're running uh, an exchange or any kind of money transfer or value transfer service, you have to be licensed and then comply with things like know your customer laws and anti-money laundering laws. And it's a credit, it's an incredibly expensive, uh, really complicated process. Or are users that run an exchange as a relayer on top of zero X, are they opening themselves up to all of these legal implications? Well, I think it, it really depends. So we're not, we're, we're simply laying down the rails that will allow people to operate one of these relayers. And as far as, you know, how a relayer decides to operate, that's really something that they need to do their research on. Like they, they need to get legal counsel. They need to do their due diligence. Uh, there's nothing to stop a relayer from doing KYC AML. And you know, I, uh, it, it's kind of the same, same thing as like, do you need to do KYC AML to participate, you know, to use the Ethereum uh, protocol, you know, to, to access ether on the Ethereum blockchain. And it's like, I mean, if you're going to buy Ether using Coinbase, yeah, you do. Um, if you're going to go find some other way of getting Ether, you might not. Um, and I think the same goes for relayers. They'll kind of have to decide how they want to operate and what is what exactly they're even allowed to do in their in their jurisdiction. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't think Zero X would would. And I obviously am not a lawyer, so this is not legal advice, but it doesn't seem like 0x itself being the protocol would open themselves up to, like you guys wouldn't be open to any legal scrutiny, but but certainly the relayers might be. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm sure there will be a lot of people that are outside of the US that don't have such strict money transfer laws that will open exchanges, no problem. But it'll be certainly interesting to see how that unfolds in the US. Um, going back to the the governance model, is there anything else uh, that, that staking your 0x tokens does for you like i know you get governance control or are, are you when you stake your tokens getting a percentage of the transaction fees or, or is it strictly governance uh, no, no, no. so uh, yeah as far as staking goes that's strictly governance uh, but i do want to talk about the other use case for the token a bit um and uh, essentially zrx is used to pay transaction fees to the relayers 
Uh, so you could sort of think of it as like trading gas uh, in, in the same way ether is used to pay gas for uh, transactions on Ethereum. Um, and, and the way it's structured is that big players uh, will, you know, big traders or, or big relayers will amass larger amounts of tokens and have a greater say over the governance. Um, and it, it also, yeah, in this way, it aligns uh, incentives correctly um, with users of the protocol and the governance features. Oh, okay, very cool. So if I wanted to, to place an order, I would then be required to have 0x tokens to pay the transaction fee, essentially? Uh, to the relayer, right. So like the so the protocol itself is completely free to use and not rent-seeking. So like every trade that goes through 0x in our smart contracts, like we as developers of the protocol, like we don't get anything. It, anyone that's operating a relayer, they get 100% of whatever transaction fees they charge. Um, it's like super important to us that it's not, not a rent-seeking system. Like we want it to be free and open source and we just want people to, you know, uh, adopt the system and build awesome things on top of it. But so if, let's say if you and I wanted to do a private over-the-counter trade, just you and I doing a trade, uh, it would be completely free. Use, you know, essentially the person that's actually executing a trade on the blockchain would have to pay the gas costs of uh, settling the trade uh, because it's settled on the Ethereum blockchain. But if we don't know each other and we want to find a counterparty to trade with, then our only real option is to go to a public location where many people are posting their orders uh, and essentially the relayers will be the ones that are uh, accepting all these orders, hosting and maintaining a public order book uh, off of the blockchain. So hosting a, an order book off of the blockchain, that is a service and that, you know, it, it isn't free to, to do that. So the relayers will have the option to charge whatever uh, amount of transaction fees that they, that they decide to charge. And uh, so, you know, the protocol itself is free to use. If you know your counterparty and just want to do a trade directly, it's completely free. Uh, if you want to find a counterparty, you have to chart, you have to essentially pay the relayer whatever transaction fee that they think is appropriate. Uh, and, you know, seeing as like, we're, we're going to make it as easy as possible to be a relayer. So therefore, you know, uh, transaction fees for relayers should be relatively competitive. Okay, very cool. And talking about those relayers, I mean, it, relayers seem uh, very similar, at least perhaps from like a conceptual standpoint to, to nodes on like a traditional blockchain, like on the Ethereum blockchain, all these nodes are confirming and relaying transactions. And because of that, they're able to, you know, get the, the transaction fees and the block rewards because of it. Um, but one thing that I found I thought was very, very interesting was, you know, pretty much every blockchain out there, Ethereum, Lisk, Bitcoin, everything has a, a block explorer. So essentially what that is for people that don't know, it's a piece of software, generally a website that allows people to see all of the different transactions that are happening on the network. So I could go in and search my address and see all the transactions I've, I've made, but I can also see every transaction happening on the blockchain in public. Um, so in the 0x roadmap specifically, you mentioned that you're making an explorer to see trades happening on 0x, which I think is, is pretty fascinating. I mean, could you talk a little bit about that and how that's going to work? 
Uh, yeah, so I mean, we're essentially making a block explorer for zero X, uh, and I think yeah, that's that's an important user tool uh, for people to have because all the trades that happen are publicly available on the blockchain, and we want to reduce any information asymmetry that that different parties may have. Um, you know, kind of just just open this up to everyone, um, and, and I, I think it'll be really cool. You could uh, you would you know, be able to see like potentially different people's strategies uh, and stuff like that. Um, you could see like which which relayers are doing the best, uh, who's doing the most volume, you know, which tokens are being traded most. Um, there are really a lot of cool statistics you'd be able to look at just by uh, looking at all the different events that are being fired off when uh, trades occur on the blockchain. Uh, okay, very cool. And one of the things that was also mentioned kind of uh, that I think is a part of this block explorer was the potential to have like an identity or as you guys call it a reputation system through that trade explorer, that block explorer for zero X. Um, is, is that something that you guys are planning to integrate? Or do you think that'll just be the community looking at those factors, like you're saying, like a volume and reliability and things like that? Uh, I think that's probably the type of thing that would naturally develop on its own. I I think it's it would be sort of off of our, you know, on it, it would not be on our roadmap really to like develop a reputation system. It's like a really hard problem in itself to solve, and there's already like smart people working on that uh, on that problem. Okay, so ultimately, like, do you all see all of these things requiring some kind of identity, or do you think it will be private and anonymous? Well, I think that it it'll be pseudo anonymous. Uh, the same way any Ethereum transaction can be pseudo-anonymous. But if you, for example, wanted to, uh, if you wanted to prove that, you know, you know what you're doing, you're, you're a good trader, you have a strategy that, you know, uh, provides you with some, some edge or something like that, then I, you know, you could easily say, hey, I own this public key and this is my entire trading history. You can look through all of it right here and you can see my performance my trading statistics and you know I have proof that I am the one that did this and uh, I think that's like a pretty cool thing that uh, people could do yeah that's awesome that's very cool so I could kind of brag about all my trades and look how much money I made on on this trade and things like that yeah very cool so the one thing I want to talk about the sort of the last topic I want to cover before we briefly talk about your ICO details and then wrap up would be all of your partnerships so if you go to the the zero X website zeroxproject.com um, we see all these different partners that are listed. There's Augur, Maker, Aragon, which we talked about, Chronobank, Melonport, District 0x, uh, which is not not the same project, a, a totally different project, just has 0x in the name, Dharma, and then OpenANX. And OpenANX is one of those that's actually also some sort of decentralized exchange. Could you talk about, uh, maybe pick a couple examples from this list and talk about what you all are actually doing in, in terms of the partnership? Is it strictly for headlines to say, hey, we we like what the other person is is building or is it something deeper than that yeah so we so these are actually projects that we've we've talked to and each one of them has sort of a a intrinsic need for exchange functionality in, in their respective dApps so uh, so like auger prediction markets you need to be able to trade prediction market outcome tokens uh you know maker uh, makers creating a stable coin and the stability of that coin really requires liquid markets to emerge. 
uh, Aragon. Aragon's creating decentralized organizations, uh, like a platform for de decentralized organizations. Each decentralized organization will have one or more tokens, and they'll either need to, you know, sell off these tokens in, you know, an initial crowd sale type event, or these tokens will just need to be liquid anyway. Uh, and so each, you can kind of go down this list and each one of them needs an exchange solution. And, you know, today, same with Melonport. And, and today, you know, they, they're either using their own sort of custom solution uh, and maybe, you know, it's not quite as efficient as 0x, or it, maybe it's, it is as performant as 0x, but it's completely incompatible with any other sort of dap out there, relayer out there. Uh, so they're, again, they're kind of like limiting their liquidity by having a, a custom system. Uh, so we've, we've talked with all these teams, and you know, they're really excited about what we're doing. Uh, they're planning on you know, either using 0x, uh, you know, integrating it into their own platforms, uh, or you know, uh, you know, pulling off, pulling liquidity off other relayers and, and sort of integrating other relayers into their systems. Uh, and you know, uh, it's just kind of a matter of us uh, launching on on the live Ethereum blockchain, which which we're doing, you know, in around a month. Very cool. Yeah, that's exciting. It's always cool to see like other projects in the space, especially well-known projects uh, that are either to be to be launched or have already launched and had successful ICOs. It's always good to see them backing a project like this, and uh, that's definitely a good sign. Um, to talk about your ICO details, you guys are running an ICO soon. Um, what day does the ICO launch, and uh, how much are tokens? Yeah, so the there's going to be, before talking about the launch date, there's going to be a mandatory registration period that will run from August 9th through August 12th. And if you register, then you will be able to participate in the actual token launch, which is on August 15th. Okay, great. And does that mean, do you say everybody that registers is going to be able to participate? Does that mean that you're running an uncapped ICO, similar to projects like Bancor, where they just kind of accept as much money as comes in in a specified period of time? Or are you doing something uh, else to limit it? So there's there's going to be a twenty four million dollar cap, um, and there will be uh, a maximum amount that each registered address could contribute uh, in in the token launch. Yeah. Um, so yeah, everyone should be able to get in because of the cap per address. Okay, and will that be the same cap for every address, or are there going to be certain people that can contribute more than others? No, no, no. So. Yeah, we're, we're absolutely not doing uncapped and we're absolutely not giving preferential treatment to anyone. We want everyone that is interested in participating to get to participate and we want everyone to be treated exactly the same. Uh, and that's because, it, you know, our primary goal, uh, you know, our, first of all, our primary goal is just to raise as much capital as we need to execute our development roadmap and no more. You know, there's... There's absolutely no reason to raise $100 million for a project, uh, in my opinion. Uh, you know, I, I think that that can actually make, make it harder to, uh, harder to actually execute yeah. because it can be distracting. It, it kind of removes your incentive to, to work hard, I think. So we, we're going to raise just what we need to actually execute. 
And we want our token to be in the hands of a wide group of people. Uh, and we want these people to be our community. We want a just a, a really wide community of people. We, you know, having a hundred whales holding all of your tokens is, I mean, that's, that's not cool. It, it, it's kind of against, it, it's against the whole philosophy of decentralization. And I don't know, that's something that I feel like we're, as a project, like we really just want everyone to get a chance to be a part of the community from the very beginning. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I, I totally agree with that sentiment. I mean, the, the projects like BAD and, and Bank, well, not Bancor, but Basic Attention Token and Status, which uh, seemed like it may have been a significant amount of people or significant amount of individuals pooling their money and maybe not whales doing it. But there have been a lot of these ICOs that sell out to a few whales that then sort of own the market and, and can do whatever they want with those tokens and manipulate the market as a result. Um, so I think that's fantastic that you guys are doing that. Um, my last question would be, how are you all preventing a Sybil attack? So how are you preventing people from just pretending to be a bunch of different people to be able to contribute more from uh, multiple accounts? Well, we, we can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> we handled in the registration process, but we, we aren't going to publicly announce it until then. Okay, fair but, enough. But you guys do have some kind of system in place that's going to prevent that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. great. Awesome. Well, uh, I think that'd be a great place to start. Uh, Will and Amir, if you want to just uh, sort of add anything that, that we didn't get to cover or uh, tell our users where they can learn more about 0x, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, thank you for for taking the time to talk with us. Uh, for the the listeners out there that want to learn more about Zero X, uh, check out our website at zeroxproject.com. Uh, we're also on Twitter and and Slack. Uh, check out our GitHub. Uh, we're furiously coding uh, and making progress, so there's plenty to see on our GitHub. Uh, and thank you for taking the time to listen. Yeah, thank you a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for joining me and uh, best of luck with the launch. Thank you, Robert. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I sincerely appreciate it. If you'd like to request someone to be on the podcast, tweet us at ICO Alert and let us know. We're trying to cover all the ICOs that includes past ICOs, present ICOs, and ICOs that are, of course, happening in the future. Thank you again. And if you haven't already, please do subscribe to get updates when we publish a new episode. Also, don't forget to check out ICOalert.com for our in-depth analysis of upcoming ICOs, as well as our comprehensive list of every initial coin offering. I'm your host, Robert Finch, and I'll be back next week or sooner with a brand new episode. 